This is Real Estate Rookie episode 289er. I like unique things and I'm really good with hospitality. And as I started running numbers and crunching everything over like a month or two, it was a pretty obvious choice for me personally and my own situation. It, it does take a lot to run the glamping site and to build it up. So it took way more time uh, of, of my own time than I thought, but I was prepared for that. So I saw that the cash flow and the other benefits of it, of what I could do, building some equity and building unique cash flow places was going to just blow just a traditional investment out the water for me. So that's when I kind of pivoted to go to that route. And it all it all made sense. and It worked out great. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And you know what? I... I love being able to like host a, a podcast like this because we get to hear so many amazing stories. But every once in a while, there's a guest that comes on that just like selfishly, I'm so excited to talk to you because they're working on something that I'm also working on and I kind of get to pick their brain. And that was, that was today's episode for me. And I'm actually kind of upset that I ended the recording because Tony went on to ask a ton more questions that we should have uh, had, you know, some kind of bonus content. So maybe that's just going to be our rule until the guest actually completely leaves the show. We just keep rolling and recording for some bonus content. Yeah. Yeah. So today we've got Garrett Brown and Garrett is, uh, he's actually a music producer uh, based out of Houston, Texas. And he's worked with big name artists like Janae Aiko, 2 Chains. He named some other like really big name artists that he's he's done work with, but he's also got this passion for for real estate investing. And today we get to dive into Garrett's story and, and kind of how he's using his music business to fuel his uh, real estate business. And before I mention all the great things about Garrett, I just want to tell you guys that Tony was also in the music industry at one point, and there is a YouTube video. So challenge you to go ahead, take a deep dive. And if you find it, just DM it to me on, on Instagram. You know, no one's, I, when I was, uh, when I was working my first W2 job out of college, I had like a, you know, I was like a manager at a warehouse and I had a team of like, I don't know, like 80 people. And I share with them that I had this, this YouTube video also. And I was like, if anyone finds it, like I'll, I'll get on the line and I'll work with you guys for a shift. And someone found it the very next day. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know how they found it. Um, but anyway, I, I ended up working like half a day, like online with my team members that day. So yeah. And you know what the worst part of it is? Is, it's actually not that bad. Like you expected <laughs> to be bad and it wasn't that bad. Hey, I think 20 year old Tony was doing some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we have Garrett on today and we're very excited about the different strategies that he touches base on because he has tried a handful of them. So he started out flipping, uh, had a couple failed deals that didn't make their way through and then a, a very nice successful flip. Then he started doing uh, condos where he purchased a handful of condos and turned them into a short-term rental and then two that were long-term rentals. And then from there, decided to transition his strategy again into something that aligned more with his degree, which was hospitality management. So I'll let you guys take a guess as to what strategy that was. And Garrett, you know, he he shares a really, really cool strategy, one that I've never heard anyone share before about how as a, a brand new investor, he was able to estimate his rehab costs. And it was probably one of the most genius, simplest ways I've ever heard anyone share about estimating rehab costs. And he also goes on to talk about why he spent almost an entire year 
looking for the right city um, to purchase his Airbnb. And he talks about like his conversations with different cities and different counties and kind of his process of eliminating the, the, the locations that didn't support his business goal. So just throughout this entire conversation, Garrett dropped a lot of really, really good nuggets throughout. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. Well, Garrett, do you want to start off just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Sure. Uh, my name is Garrett Brown. I'm from Houston, Texas. I own a music studio and I'm a music producer by trade, but I have been in uh, real estate now. I've been a realtor for about six years now, and I've been in real estate investing now for about three years. Uh, started doing a typical realtor route, kind of learning the ropes of that, and then once I started meeting a few different people, I, I heard about, I, I didn't even really see what all could be done through real estate investing at the time. All I knew is, you know, get a client, sell a house, buy a house. 
And then I would go from there. But once I had somebody re- reach out to me about real estate investing, it I found bigger pockets and went from there. And it was it was definitely a life changing moment for me. Well, yeah, you, you kind of answered my question, Garrett. But I was going to say, did you did you become a realtor with the expectation of that being a stepping stone towards becoming an investor, or was like becoming a realtor just a way to generate some extra cash? Um, so it was it was kind of just a, a way to generate some extra cash. I was looking for something that was real flexible within my music schedule um, because I was I record pretty much you know. 7 p.m. to midnight, 1, 2 a.m. every night. And during, during the day, I didn't have much, but I also traveled some. So I was looking for something that was a little more flexible that I knew would be able to, you know, build up some cash over time to really get me where I wanted to go. I do have a hospitality management degree. That's what I went to University of Houston for. So I wanted to eventually maybe own a bar or a music venue or something along those lines. So I kind of just wanted to get my feet wet with it. But I never planned on becoming like really going down the path of where real estate investing is the thing that I, I found as the tool that is is very vital for me going forward. And so once I kind of got into it and going, it it just kind of played itself out. And I started meeting people when I was working with investors and I was seeing what they were doing on deals and how much they were making and all these other things. And I was like, all right, I, I think I need to kind of take a step back and figure out some things because I think they're doing it a little better than me because I'm not a real salesy guy either. And I, uh, you know, real realtors like, I, there's a, I have a big tremendous respect for them, especially the ones that are really good, but it's a very salesy thing, especially when you're calling for sale by owners, calling expireds. I, you know, I was doing all that and it, it definitely was just not exactly up my lane. I wanted to be a little more, use my hospitality degree and be a little more unique with where I was going and really try to build some financial freedom and long-term wealth for me and my family going forward. Before we go any more into the episode, what does your portfolio look like today and how many deals have you done? Um, so I've probably done, I've done, uh, I've failed at two flips, finally had one successful flip. I've had a, a buy-in, a, uh, I've had a buy-in live-in flip basically that I did. And then I had three condos that I was uh, short-term renting and long-term renting for quite a while. But then at this very second, I've sold most of that. And then I have a pretty major glamp site that um, we just launched and we're trying to expand going forward from uh, about an hour away from Houston near one of the major lakes called Lake Livingston. So I have a, a 426 square foot geodome, like a fully luxury on-grid commercially permitted geodome. I have a ranch house on there that's worth about 500000 that uh, we're going to rent out very shortly. And then we have a couple other sites we're adding on to the Glamp site, adding a really special one in August. And then we're trying to expand from there and take add a wedding venue and some other things as we go forward with it. I can't wait to get into all of this, but let's talk about these different strategies. What made you start with flipping? Uh, so just really, cause I, one thing I love about real estate and once I got further into it, I realized how diverse there was and I was kind of having a little analysis paralysis. Cause it was like, do I want to find a storage unit? Do I want to flip a house? Do I want to, you know, do Airbnb and do more of the hospitality side? Do I want to do just buy and holds? And I, I really got more into flipping first just because a lot of the investors I was working with were doing flips. And so I really was able to learn a lot from that process. I would go walk the properties with them. I would go to random, you know, there would be investor list and, you know, you know, wholesaler list that would send out, Hey, we're having an open house one to three this day. All you investors come to this house. And I would go to the house, really not the intent of purchasing it, but I would go to just walk the property, work on trying to get my rehab costs. I'd have my own little spreadsheet that I was working off of. Then I'd maybe have a, I, maybe I got lucky a couple of times and had a contractor actually walk some places with me that I, that they would give me their idea of what it thought it would take. 
And I would just go to some of these open houses and just like listen to what other people were saying too. Because a lot of these were like some of the bigger investors in Houston and they would be walking around pointing out things and I would just listen, you know, and I would kind of, and I would hear what they would say, oh, this is going to cost 1500 to do this toilet thing or whatever like that. And I was just kind of mentally taking notes. And I went to 20, 30 of these in the first few months with no intention really of buying, didn't have the financial financial means to buy anything, but I was just getting all this information to really learn rehab costs and what was going to, what what was really going to make me comfortable going to that next level of actually putting in an offer and putting up my hard earned money that I've been working for for so long that I was so nervous of like, deploying. But once I actually started putting out offers, like all that stress kind of went away because I saw the, you know, the ability of what it would actually generate if if something went through with a well deal and just, and just trying things. Garrett, you know, we, we've interviewed your episode 289. So we've had 288 conversations up until this point. And I don't think a single person has ever said that they've gone to open houses just to hear what other potential investors are saying the house might need when it comes to rehab. What Dude, what a what a simple yet super effective way to estimate your rehab costs. Because I feel like for a lot of new investors, that's one of the things that really gets them stuck is that if you've never done this before, it's hard for you to ballpark what uh, amount of money you might spend to buy and, and renovate a home. Obviously, once you've done it a few times, and if you're buying with inside your buy box, you know exactly what's going to cost. Like Ash, I'm sure you know exactly what it costs to renovate a duplex in, in Buffalo. I know exactly what it costs to renovate a three bed, two bath in, in Joshua Tree. But if it's your first time doing it, there's a lot of question marks there. So I, 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 you, you also mentioned about getting the GC to walk with you, but I, I just want one other follow-up question on this kind of listening. So I, I guess first, how long were you at these open houses? Were you just there the entire time <laughs> and just kind of like letting people come through? And then were you actually having conversations with the other investors um, or, or were you just kind of like a fly on the wall and, and, and taking notes? Just kind of walk us through like the tactical side of how you actually got information out of that open house. Sure. So um, it really started when I was going with other investors or going with investors as as an agent, trying to find different places. And they would start to really, you know, they would point out things. But once I started getting on some of these wholesale lists, there's there's a couple of people in Houston that they get there. They're some of the biggest wholesalers out here. They they host tons of open houses where it's, hey, first investors to show up, whoever makes the best deal that day, like you'll get the property kind of, you know, vibe, like cash only, all the, all those things like that. So I would go there and so, you know, at first I was a little more nervous. I wasn't trying to be you know, like obvious that I didn't know what I was doing and things, even, even though looking back, that's so like naive to think that way, but I would go maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And I would just walk around and act like I knew what I was doing. I wouldn't really talk to many people. Like every once in a while I may kind of get into it, but a lot of these people were looking at whoever was in the house as their competition and things like that. So, but that it was, it, it kind of blew my mind. And I noticed this from doing like residential retail sales that people go into houses and they just talk out loud and they don't realize that, you know, people, I may be listening or, you know, buyers are walking in saying all these things. And the opposite side is you, you got to be real careful. And I tell my buyers when we walk into houses, you need to be real careful what you say out loud. It was similar on the investor side. People were just kind of like, they would be walking in a bathroom. They would look up and be like, oh man, you see that? Oh, there's a leak right there. Like, oh, that's going to be a good $5,000. And I was just taking this all into account. And after I got a little more comfortable 
with different investors and the terminology and and all my own research through bigger pockets and just trying different spreadsheets people put online. There's a ton online that, and especially in Texas, there's different contractors or you know uh, people that do rehabs that will put out like a a free spreadsheet of what what they they estimate this cost for a you know a new window here. And there may not be the exact answer, but it gave me a good guideline to where I was going to go when I started walking properties on my own that I was actually considering buying. And then I had at least a ballpark park to know, hey, okay, doing this toilet and having to fix the tile to go to LVP, it, it might be in this cost because I heard somebody talking about that they thought this 1,200 square foot house was going to cost, you know, I, I don't know, uh, $6,000 to put new flooring in or something. And I would, I was just taking these little bits of information and I would go put it into my spreadsheet or I would update the person's spreadsheet that was maybe it was a national spreadsheet. I would maybe try to like, okay, they thought that, you know, windows and this, this person, he did his in Georgia, but he thought his windows were going to be this amount. But I've gotten other information from some of my own bids from other contractors or seeing people talk about it, that the windows are actually probably going to be closer to this. And so I may go change it. And I would always add that extra cushion on top, knowing that everything is always more. And I saw this with the, from helping investors that everything always goes more expensive than you very rarely does a does a flip no, or anything no go way. under budget yeah so no way <laughs> once i realized that i was like oh i probably need to add like a 20 percent buffer on top of this too while i'm doing it so um that was it was just it was just really getting bits of information and i had analysis paralysis probably for the first year or two because i was just kind of so nervous like oh these guys they've been doing it they got cash funds to do it They're, you know even if they fail they'll, they'll be fine and i'm if i fail it's, it's you know my cash funds are gone but once i kind of do it and i saw regular you know regular joes and jills kind of doing whatever like doing the same things i wanted to do i i knew that there was a way i could make it happen and i really just needed to put my feet in the fire and probably start making offers and and have a few failed deals which is what happened to kind of learn like okay this is this isn't going to work, but I learned a lot from it. You know, there's not nothing like that as a failure. You can't fail until you quit. You can only take these as lessons from all your losses or all your you know tribulations. That the next one eventually you, you're not going to make that mistake again. When you start making consecutive mistakes, that's when there's an issue and that needed to be corrected. If you can, if you make one mistake and you can nix that in the bud from the beginning, then that that is how your journey should be going. From what I've kind of seen from the outside, Garrett, you you had a lot of really great information there, and uh, I, I definitely want to keep the conversation moving because I, I feel like we could talk about this for a while but uh just just to clarify for all of our our rookie listeners so you weren't going to traditional um open houses for properties that were listed on market you were going after like open houses for wholesalers and the reason you were able to get so much more information is because typically wholesalers are not selling to retail buyers they're selling to other investors so if you get a house full of investors that's how you're kind of able to be this fly on the wall and uh and really uh, kind of get insights from all these other investors. But dude, one last thing you said, I wasn't even planning on, on bringing this up, but you said it and I feel like I got to, I got to make a comment on it. You talked about the the mistake piece and you know, it, it's so funny, Garrett, because I have a son, he's 15 and you know, just being a teenager, you tend to do dumb things, right? Like just your, your brain chemically is not where it's supposed to be yet. And even though you look like you're 21 years old inside, you're like eight. Um, and I, I tell my son all the time, I was like, dude, it's, it's you you, you, it's okay if you make a mistake. Like life is all about making mistakes because I want to, I want to give him the confidence and making mistakes is okay. But just like you said, it's like when you, when you make the mistake, 
you, you, you get the lesson, but you don't apply that lesson to your life. That's when you start getting in trouble. So, so many good things. Ash, I feel like I go on a tangent, but I, I know you've got some really cool ways, Ashley, too, about like analyzing or estimating rehab costs. Like you tell people to put stuff into, it's like their card on, on Home Depot and all that stuff. Just, can you just talk about that? Cause I think that's another really helpful way for folks that aren't, aren't maybe able to get into open houses with wholesalers. Yeah. So there's two ways that I kind of learned construction cost and how to even do a rehab. And one of those ways was going on to Lowe's and or Home Depot and basically going room by room. Okay, I'm going to remodel a bathroom. I'm going to need a vanity. Look it up on Home Depot. How much it does a vanity cost, a basic vanity? Then I would take that and I would link it into a spreadsheet where I would have what it was, how many I would need, what the you know, the link to the actual website if I wanted to go back to it and then how much it cost. And then I would be able to have like kind of a total at the end of at least my materials. And of course, as you know, I was starting out, there was things I did not know, like, okay, how much grout do I need for this many square feet of a bathroom to, to put the, the tile in or whatever? What's the finished grout? How much is, how much will I need? Things like that. But at least it's got me started with somewhat of an estimate going room by room and kind of laying out every material that I would need. And YouTube was a big help with that too. And the second thing that I would do is I hired a partner, someone who knew rehab and construction. I gave him some equity in the property in exchange for him to do some of the labor and to let me like basically follow him around and try to be of assistance. To this day, he will say that I was not very helpful, but (laughs) I can do some things now. So those were the two ways that I kind of learned about estimating rehab is from taking on a partner who had experience and then also just like finding out the materials. And then the labor part was a lot harder for me because I feel like it really does fluctuate a lot as to what it actually can be. So now we're very diligent at keeping track of, okay, what are current rates for getting flooring installed? Like how much are we looking at a price per square foot? And we try to use the same vendors um, every once in a while, most bid it out just to like make sure that our vendors are staying honest, things like that. But it definitely helps when you can get, you know, your preferred vendors where our painters, you know, we know every two bedroom, one bathroom unit that's, you know, not horribly has, doesn't have horrible wall damage. You know, it's going to cost us X amount or around that each time. And that, that makes it so helpful to be able to go and estimate, like even for apartment turnovers, doing rehabs on those, what those costs are going to be. Before we go on, because I just, you 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 sparked something inside of me because like the thing that I always, I loved your approach, but the thing I always thought about, like, man, I got to figure out what material I need to do whatever job that is. And like, you could watch a YouTube video, but I thought, man, with technology today, there's probably an easier way to do this. So I opened up chat GPT. I said, give me a step-by-step action plan for removing an old toilet and installing a new one. This is my first time doing this. So please assume I know nothing about plumbing. ChatGPT said, sure, here's a step-by-step action plan to remove an old toilet and install a new one. Tools and materials you'll need. And it goes on to list like eight, or, or I think there's 10 items on here that I'll need. And now I have a list of things that I can go shop for on Amazon to try and understand what that cost is. So like, there's no excuse now for anyone. That's a good idea. Very and good. then the next thing you put it in, what is a, you know, 
can you build out a rehab template for me with everything on it? <laughs> exactly. Right. Garrett, with your with your spreadsheet though that you had, did you kind of develop it over time instead of just like taking the one you found online and sticking to that? Are there things that you noticed that maybe on some of these templates you found online that weren't included that you think everybody should have? Yeah, no. So I, I, that's exactly what I did. I would take the template that I liked the most. I tried four or five different ones, kind of seeing what was on there and things. And, and I took the one that I liked the most and over time would would definitely adapt it to the things I learned, especially, you know, case specific to the areas I'm in. Uh, in Houston, Texas, we have a lot of foundation problems because we're so close to, you know, we're, we're so close to the ocean and just have a, a very uh, wet soil for lack of better words there. Um, so one thing that I think in my area that I noticed was that a lot of foundation costs were, it, it was a more prevalent thing. And it was something that I needed to account for more going into houses. Cause once we would find out, especially working with a lot of investors, I saw this, that they would, they would work on the foundation portion and then the foundation would mess up all the framing for something, or the foundation would crack some kind of plumbing that needed to be there. And then it would add on to all these costs, but it really just came from, and I did similar things to you too with the home with Home Depot and Lowe's that because a lot a lot Home Depot and Lowe's they'll come out and give you a quote for things on especially like certain sub things or new tile and it's most likely going to be a little more expensive than a more of a local sub but you can take some of these numbers and I was getting local I would call flooring companies that were more local and say hey what is your rate for in, installing you know LVP in a XYZ style house like what do you do like for labor. And on some of these people, these subcontractors especially will give you like what their estimate is on art, you know, painting is a good one too. Like, oh, usually we charge around this, you know, uh, per square foot. And they'll be able to give you an idea it, that does have some variation. But once you start calling some of these different people, I would call, I pretty much would try to call three or four subcontractors on, especially all my early like flips that I was trying, even though they failed, I would have three or four uh, subs come out sometimes. I'd stack them up and I'd try to not not let them see each other coming at the same time, even though there might have like a competition level might have been good. I'm not sure on that. That's more of a psychology thing there maybe. Um, but I would get multiple bids from different subs for like a foundation or, you know, a roof or plumbing or like something like that because subs you're, you're more likely electrical. Subs are more likely to be able to get a quote out of them at least to learn from it and see, you know, and I would give, even if it was like a new sub, I would go on Facebook uh, uh, groups. I'm really big into Facebook groups in Houston and how I met a lot of people and I've had different deals. There's a couple really big ones in Houston. And some of these may be newer subs or newer people trying to start their construction business. And they may not have the you know rapport with a, a lot of these investors. So they may be willing to come out and give you a free estimate. Will you want them to do the work? That's that's up to you to do due diligence and trust your gut and and have multiple bids and you know, maybe try to talk to whoever you can, but try to try to talk to some of these newer subs and newer contractors out there because they'll probably gladly come walk the property and give their opinion because they're looking for new business. Don't don't be in the business of wasting people's time. I would say, because that reputation will travel very quickly with you. But there, there, there's a fine line between like really giving somebody a legitimate shot to give a bid or, you know, wasting somebody's time. And I, I think I did a good job of it. I did have one contractor. I had him walk a place with me twice. And by the, the second one, it fell through. Uh, he got a little irate with me because he, you know, walked it and, and, and wasn't as happy because then he's, you know, like, I'm wasting your time. And it was like, no, I, I definitely didn't waste your time on purpose. It's just the deal fell through. Like my hard money lender pulled on the second one. 
I appreciate you a lot. And, you know, that's fine. And we've, we've, uh, we haven't crossed paths since and we don't do any work, but that, that, that is something that has happened out of it. But most of the time, 95% of the time, the, the subs or whoever has been great. And I able to take some of these quotes and really understand what I was going through going forward. And even when I was building my glamp site, I was, I knew what probably the LVP was going to cost putting in the geodome. I knew what tiling a bathroom. I had a general idea of what it was cost. Like my budget was pretty spot on. I did go a little over budget, of course, but it was pretty spot on for building something unique because I had toured all these places and talked to so many people. And I did have that analysis paralysis, but there was a good side of it too, because I got so much information. And when I was ready to dive in, I could have dove in a little earlier, but I did just, I, I had way more confidence in everything I was doing. So it was a lot easier. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor to get six months of rent ready for only $1. So when was that point that you decided to dive in and actually purchase that first flip? How did you feel confident enough? And you mentioned that 
on the one deal, it fell through because of a hard money lender. Is that how you were able to get the first deal is you found a hard money lender? Uh, yes. So I had two, I had two flips fall through. Um, and, and, and a lot of it came because I started telling people I was going with these investors. I was the realtor on them. I was no, I knew what they were making. I was, I, I had, I had a very clear, clear idea of like, okay, being a realtor is good, but there's a lot of time for trade. I was doing, I was driving everywhere, calling, calling expireds. Once I saw what the investors were making on some of these, you know, HUD clothes and all these, you know, HUD forms and things like that, I decided to start trying to find my own deal. I started telling people like uh, actively within music. I never really crossed the two between music and real estate. Most people d- that I knew I did music didn't know I did real estate because I was worried about, oh, you know, I, this guy's failed at music. Like it doesn't matter what he did in his past. He has platinum records and stuff. He, it obviously didn't work because now he's trying real estate. He wants to be a realtor like everybody else. So I was kind of nervous, like thinking that, oh man, people are going to think I failed at music. And like I said, looking back, that was a, a very naive take because once I started telling people, hey, like I'm, I'm doing real estate now, I'm trying to find some investments. And if you know anybody that has a house, let me know. Sure enough, a few weeks later, I had a, a friend within music call me. A friend of a friend was wanting to sell a house. They didn't want to be there anymore. It had flooded a while back, but they were able to, to fix it up some through you know flood insurance, but they still wanted to, they had a, a great deal on it. So I went, saw the property, gave them an offer. I gave them exactly what they wanted because it fit all the numbers I was running. And then we were, we were all the way through. I was so excited. It was going to be minimal. I probably had to put 15,000 into it. We got very close to the end. And then out of nowhere, my title company calls me who I'd used multiple times for a lot of deals. And they say, Hey, there's like an estranged brother that's claiming title onto this piece of like this house as well too. And they didn't find it on the first search and some other things like that. But they're like, the the deal's not going to be able to go through because he's not signing off on it. And it was just this whole mess of like, I was going to have to do all types of attorney things and the the profit wasn't going to be worth it. So I backed out of that deal. I lost my earnest money deposit. Um, I just, I I could have fought it and done some other things, but I just didn't, I just, it wasn't that much of an earnest money deposit in the end. I think it was about a thousand bucks or something. The house was only, it was like a hundred thousand dollar house. So it was about a thousand bucks. I lost it, but I learned, okay, there needs to be way more, more checks going into this, but I need to ask like the friends like, Hey, there's not a chance that like, that somebody else owns this property or anything like that. I never even asked that. I thought, oh, this is a this is a friend. She seems like she owns everything. She didn't bring up that you know there may be a brother that may have a claim to it. So I lost that deal. Then we went on to another one. Found another one. Same contractor. I brought him. I had a, I had a couple other contractors walk that property. And when we went to walk it, everything was working out. I landed the deal. This was February 2020. It had a hard money lender lined up. COVID hit. Hard money lender kind of backed out. They were so nervous about everything. I was, I think I had to put maybe 80% down or something of the, of the cost with the rehab and everything. But then they backed out during March and said, Oh, actually you're going to have to put up 60% or something now, if you want to get it. And that's, this is also when I was, I got real nervous too. I'm like, Oh, COVID's here. Uh, this isn't, you know, everybody, especially in the real estate industry, we were all, we have no idea what's about to happen on the realtor side too. So I, I we backed out of that deal hindsight. I wish we would have found a way to get that money because Obviously, the market shot up and it was it was in a great location. So lost that deal. Hard money pulled out. Eventually, I was still working with some a client of mine. Garrett, let me just let me just ask really quickly, because you you have these two attempts and both are, quote unquote, failures, right? Like you're not able to get them to the finish line at any point between that first deal or that second deal that didn't go through. 
Are you saying to yourself at any point, like, mm, I don't know if this real estate investing thing is for me? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's I, I, it kind of goes back to that that lesson of I, I got so I, I was down for a little while. And I, you know, I come from the music industry where it's, it's a very no based industry. Ninety nine percent of the time I'm hearing no. So it, it got me down for a little bit. But once I, I kind of thought about it, I was like, it's like there's no way that I, I'm, I'm not going to allow that to happen again. It was not my fault that it was nothing. I did everything right on the deal. Like the deal was going to it was going to be a great deal. I was going to profit on it. It was going to be the first one just because I dropped or just because the ball was dropped on some random relative being there through title or however it slipped through the cracks. I eventually once I got out of my day of like, oh, man, that sucks. I lost the deal. I kind of realized I was like, well, there's nothing that I personally did. I, I need to just keep trying. So then I you know, went to the next one. And then it, same thing again. I, I was real upset about it for about a day or two. And then I kind of sat there and I'm like, it was nothing that I did. And then and, and then in in a month or two later, once the rock, I mean, the market was still skyrocketing, I, I looked at it. I was like, I actually called a great deal. And that gave me even more confidence to go. And then so maybe three or four months later, I was walking a client with a property. She was about to buy it in an area that I knew kind of well that I grew up in. I saw it for sale by owner a sign. And I, I got a lot of my real, realtor deals calling for sale by owners to begin with. So I was very comfortable with it. Gave them a call. They said, hey, like, we just want to get rid of the house. We want 115 for it. Uh, it doesn't, you, know, you can come walk it tomorrow. It, you know, it's not in great shape. It's not in bad shape. I walked the deal. I walked the place. I knew, I knew what those houses would go for. Cause I had a client that was working in that exact neighborhood and we'd done tons of research finding, you know, researching different houses in there. So I knew what the, where, where profit could stand. I knew I could sell it for about two twenty five. We could probably put 40 to 50,000 in it. And we ended up doing all that. I had a hard money lender help me out with the, uh, we had to put down 80 or we had to put, they, they funded 80% of the, uh, of the cost of the place. They funded hundred percent of the rehab. We were able to pay them back. I even, I guess I'm a realtor, so I'm able to save on commissions luckily. So, but I still ended up making about 40,000 profit, bought about 115, about 50 into it. And then we sold about 225. And then once that happened, that really kind of started really, it, it, it told me two things. It told me one, I didn't really want to flip houses. I liked, I liked the, I liked how it went, but I also knew that I started like, I wanted to take this money and go into short-term rentals or long-term rentals more because it was, there was a lot of stress going in with the flip, but it, it turned out well. So I, I got a lot of learning lessons and some upfront capital to really kind of spark everything going forward. But it did teach me that maybe flipping wasn't my favorite thing because, you know, even dealing with the, the sellers was, they were, they were real cool overall, but there was just some different nuances that I, you know, I, I didn't really like working with sellers and that. And then they would come back and, oh, you said you were going to do this on this day. And, you know, oh, uh, oh, you're hard money lender. Like, is can, he, can we close tomorrow? And just different things that kind of got on my nerves uh, for a lot of different reasons. And so I was like, actually, I want to be more in charge of of kind of what's going on and really build the long term wealth with it as opposed to a, you know, a quick quick buck that I get taxed majorly on and have to go in and find a new place. And now I need to call more for sale by owners and all that, which I'm not a fan of, but it does work well. So that's kind of where I ended up with there. So Gary, you talked about that you have the degree in hospitality. Is that what kind of made you shift into the short-term rental with your geodome or did it just like 
happen at Chance. Can you kind of talk about that transition? Sure. So um, I always I always knew I wanted to do something in the hospitality industry. I was I've been a waiter forever. My first job was when I was 16. I was, you know, uh, busting tables and things like that. And so I always wanted to maybe have a restaurant and I, like I'm into music. So I was like maybe a music venue. But as time went on, I bought after I flipped that house, I decided that I was like, okay, I want to try something a little different. I bought my own smaller condo uh, in, in Houston, Texas. I got it for around I think, 115 or 120. Uh, I was going to live in it. It was going to be my owner occupied. And I wanted to, it wasn't in a bad shape, but I knew there could be some uh, remodeling to it that would bring it up. And so I, I got that condo. But then at that time I was like, okay, I was working with a landlord, not far from that condo. He had three smaller condos in a, in a not it wasn't in a great part of town but it wasn't in a bad part and he was get I, I was helping him I was helping him rent the places out every year and do some other things he got towards the end and he would call me and said hey I think I actually want to sell the condos can we can we can we put them up for sale instead now and I started doing a little research into it and I knew what he was able to rent it out and I knew a lot of that information already I he wanted 70 he wanted to list them for 70 he had three condos he wanted to list them for 70,000 a piece I was able to talk him say hey let me buy them I'll buy them for, we ended up settling at 59 per condo. And I got a, a small bl uh, blanket mortgage to cover that. I put about 25% down on it, which is in the $40,000 range. And those places each, I had two of them on long-term that were renting for 900 a piece. And then I had one that was doing short-term that was making, you know, it varied each night, but it was making about a thousand or 2000 per month. Once all the big money from BlackRock and all these people came in, this was like 2019 when this 2020, when this was going on, once all the big money came into to Houston and it, it already was starting to ramp up all those condos, like just a basic condo, the prices all shot down because, you know, they were coming in and they were having 30, $40 condos that were just as nice as mine in a better part of town. And I couldn't really keep up. And so I, I knew that there was, I knew that there was a way that I could use my hospitality degree to my advantage because I think a, one thing that a lot of short-term rental hosts uh, misinterpret is the the amount of guest experience and hospitality that actually goes into running a short-term rental, especially a very successful one with all these different you know rentals out there now. It's not just a hey, put some furniture in it, and you know the, the, after that it's hands off and everything's going to go great. I, I knew that that was an advantage I could take. I started running numbers. I was like, do I want to? do I want to sell these places and, and buy a small townhouse closer to town with maybe I can get an ADU in the backyard or a garage apartment? Or do I want to try, you know, I was watching Rob's channel. I was, I was watching Kai Andrews channel, a few different people like that. And I was kind of like, maybe this, you know, maybe I could do something with this glamping idea. I like unique things and I'm really good with hospitality. And as I started running numbers and crunching everything over like a month or two, it was a pretty obvious choice for me personally and my own situation. It, it does take a lot to run the glamping site and to build it up. So it took way more time uh, of, of my own time than I thought, but I was prepared for that. So I, I saw that the cash flow and the other benefits of it, of what I could do, um, building some equity and building unique cash flow places was going to just blow just a traditional investment out the water for me. So that's when I kind of pivoted to go to that route and it all, it all made sense and it's worked out great. Garrett, and your, your, your dome is beautiful, man. We got a photo of it here and maybe we can drop it into the show notes for people to check out. You did a fantastic job with it. But something you mentioned that really stood out to me is that a lot of new investors don't realize the level of hospitality that goes into being an effective short-term rental host. Um, can you, can you maybe give some examples of where you've seen maybe other 
Airbnb hosts kind of drop the ball and how your background, your your degree in hospitality management has maybe allowed you to separate yourself from the competition? Uh, sh- sure. So I so um, there's a few examples that immediately stood out to me before I even got further into it because I've, I've traveled a lot for music and we've stayed in a lot of Airbnbs. I've gone to California for a few extended months and just booked a long air, long-term Airbnb. And, uh, and I've also had shorter stays too. And I noticed that the ones that, you know, me and my girlfriend were traveling, the ones that we always really, really loved and would like bring up later on would be little touches to, uh, hospitality, whether it was, you know, a simple note with a small snack basket, just how, uh, just how receptive they were to us or how responsive they were. Anytime we had questions versus when I stayed at other places where it was obvious, like, okay, this guy or this gal got a, uh, place and they just threw a bed in it. Uh, I stayed in one one Airbnb that the pictures weren't wasn't even the same furniture when I walked in. It was completely different, and I, I and and it was a good price and some other things like that. So I didn't raise like a stink about it or anything. I kind of just rolled with it and stayed there for what it was. But I just remember thinking like this this is a sign that uh, and I stayed in a lot of places like that where it was, it was obvious that the person just thought that they could throw some furniture in it and that was pretty much the end of it. But the places that I knew and from my hospitality background because I've worked in event management, I've worked in hotel management, other things. Those small the small the guest experience is so critical for a successful STR, especially in today's market where it, there's just so many choices and people can stay wherever they want. There's air, there's you know there's short term rentals, there's hotels, there's other glamping and camping sites. There has to be something that really brings the guests back to you and really makes them feel like they were they were bigger, they were more than a guest that they were, you know, your family or something staying there. And I really wanted to provide that to people when I was going forward with it. And I would work on making systems to make sure that there would be special things there. I make sure if I always ask them, Hey, is there a special occasion you're celebrating anything like that? Just so I can find out whatever extra information I can get from them to help make their stay even more memorable because the word of mouth and people putting out social content over your, your stay and, and people really talking about other things and leaving all these reviews is, is going to skyrocket your, your STR business. Cause otherwise there it's just that, that word of mouth and that real, that that feel that they get from it is just not going to be there. And they're, they're going to have no reason to be a return customer or to tell their, their friends who are very likely to do similar things as them. Uh, Cause people love social currency in, in the United States to be able to tell somebody that, Hey, I got this really cool place that I stayed that not many, you know, not many people have heard about or not many people have stayed at. And it was awesome. It was one of the best vacations we had. You're not going to get that if you just, throw a bed in a place, say, Hey, here's your, here's your code to get in the door, you know, have a good stay. Let me know when you leave. So I, I wanted to just make sure I separated myself as much as I could in that, that aspect. Garrett, a, a few, again, really insightful things that you, that you called out here. So I think the the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that you said your, your, your glamp site is in, you said Lake Livingston, uh, not, not too far from Houston. I have personally never heard of Lake Livingston. And Ashley, have you ever heard of Lake Livingston in Texas? Yeah, I know Houston pretty well, and I've never heard of that. And the, the reason I ask that question is because people always come to me and say, hey, Tony, what what city or what market should I buy my next Airbnb in? And there's always these big kind of national known locations. You got Disney, you got Joshua Tree, you've got Zion, you've got Smoky Mountains. But what I've been telling folks is that every single state has some kind of local regional draw that's going to bring people in. And I think you've done a great job. Just I, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the glam site, uh, Garrett, to, to give folks kind of a better understanding of what it is. So first, um, I think if you can define what a like the dome is and kind of how it 
differs from like a traditional tent. Um, and then also just talk about the build out process. Like how long did it take for you to build it out? Did you have to get this permitted? Um, are you on septic? Are you like off grid or people showering with like a bucket of water? Like kind of give us the insights. And then if you can, at the end, just share kind of what the numbers look like from a revenue or profit perspective. Sure. So glamping, if uh, I, I still struggle with this, I think it's glamorous camping, could be glorious camping, luxury camping, basically. So when we were going into it, I, I, I looked for a place for about a year or so before um, even finding the right place because I really wasn't sure. I knew it needed some kind of special attraction near. I knew I wanted it to be near Lake Livingston. And there's also Sam Houston National Forest right by it, which is one of four national forests in Texas. So I, I kind of I wanted to be really particular where I was going because I wanted to be very close to these destinations because I knew I couldn't get exactly on the lake because there's so many HOAs there that building a dome was going to be pretty much impossible to find an area on on the lake that was going to allow me to build it. But most of them have deed restrictions that you can't build a home under 700 square feet or different things like that. So I, we were trying to decide between if we wanted to, you know, I visited different glamping sites. I went to off grid geodomes. I went to on grid places and I knew pretty instantly that I wanted to do on grid one, because I didn't want to mess with the compost toilet and some other things like that. And I also knew that I would rather have less, less sites on the, I have 10 acres uh, I let, I'd rather have less sites on the place and be able to charge a more premium. Cause I went to some places that had 40 domes on, you know, two or three acres or something insane. And I, I knew instantly that's not something I wanted to do. So I was looking for different places. I, I didn't have a mortgage at the time or anything. And I was wanted, I was hoping I could find an owner, a place that I could owner occupy a, a nice house get the land with a with a 5 5% down conventional loan and then build out on the site while I live there for that year you know you have to occupy the house for a year so I knew I I knew I would live there and it was fine cuz I was traveling at the same time touring and other things so I was able to finally find a place that was after about eight months, putting in different offers, some things didn't work out. They wanted 600 for this place. I was able to get them down to about 550. We put about 5% down. Uh, the, ho the house we're turning into an STR in the next few weeks. We're working on it right now. We put about 50,000 in renovations into it. But we wanted to make sure that the geodome, which we built out, the geodome built out was about $150,000, but that also included, we put a, a septic tank in, we put a water well in, we ran our electric poles back there. And this is also these, the septic, the well, and well, the electric, we have to add one more pole, but those are all going to tie into our next site that we're building at the back of the property. So we pretty much put the dome in the middle of the property. And then our next big one, that's going to be, you know, we consider like our real, real big uh, project it will be easier to get those utilities out there because we've already went halfway into the in, into the land and started that process. And now we just tie in the septic system, at trench out the plumbing, and we tie in the plumbing over there. So the build out for the geodome was a little more expensive than we wanted it to be, uh, especially with road infrastructure too. But this is also going to make our next build, which we're trying to complete by August, much cheaper going into it. And so once we... And right now, if we just... We list the geodome, my, my mortgage is about... $3,000. Uh, we just changed our insurance from just regular home insurance. We changed it to proper insurance. It, it almost doubled, but they also, they're insuring the dome. They're adding commercial liability insurance on top of this. They insure the house. And um, so now my mortgage is probably going to go up to probably closer to 
3,500, 4,000 in there, especially with some tax increases. But just running the geodome, uh, we planned them. We're, we're, we already just launched about a couple couple weeks ago. And we've already had 12 different bookings come in. And there's, there's so we're already pretty much have hit our mortgage for that. Once we rent the house out in the next week or two, we expect that to add on another three or four thousand. So we're, we're looking at a, between probably five to six thousand profit between these two sites. But once we du- triple down and add our next site, which is a really spectacular build, it's probably going to shoot up to probably into the eleven to 12,000 range per month because that site is going to be very, very free and clear from a lot of the, the the typical expenses that I'm already having to do by having the house and things like that. So uh, we're pretty excited for it. And it's, it's been a it took a while to find the right piece of land. I didn't I didn't do a 1031 out of the condos or anything like that because I knew it was going to take time to find the right piece of property. I didn't want to just rush and buy something. And, and it did. It took me quite a while to find the right piece and find the right county. The touch on the permitting process. I did have to get a commercial permit. Um using my realtor knowledge and just calling, I would call local contractors and I called the permitting departments for all the counties around. There was about three counties that I was looking in between and I would call contractors and say, hey, what, what's it like permitting in this county? And some people would give me an answer. I'd call another contractor. I'm like, hey, have you built anything in this one? What's it like permitting in this area? And then I would call the permitting departments as well to tell them, say, hey, like, this is what I want to do. I want to build a geodome. Like, is this possible? And you know they're they're not going to be able to give you a yes or no answer uh, because there's so many nuances to it. But if they're immediately like nope, no, we'll never like no, what no, then it's probably not the right county. And there was one county nearby that was like that. Once I found the county that I'm actually in, I could tell that they were more they they have a his you know Lake Livingston. I used to go there growing up. Uh, my dad's boss used to have a lake house out there, so we would do retreats out there and other things. So I always knew that that was a place. It's the se- it's the second largest lake in Texas. Actually, it's a man made lake. Most of the ones in Texas are man made, and uh, so I knew that they had a history of short term rentals where people would go up there and they they weren't going to outlaw it anytime soon. So I, I was able to get with San Jacinto County, which is the county that I'm in. I told them my idea and they were, they, they were, they kind of were just like, Hmm, that's interesting. You know, like, just let us know, like whenever you get to it and we'll, we'll take a look. And so that, and, and talking to contractors, they also told me that, Hey, Sanchez, this County is going to be way easier to work with than some other counties. And I, I was able to, with my geodome, I use Pacific domes who they actually provide for, I think I paid $2,500 and they give you stamped architecture plans to that geodome. And this made Everything so much easier getting it permitted because even the, the the county even said like, hey, we usually don't even get this much detail in our in our plans that we get from people like this is impressive. And I've had some different things come up, uh, even just adding more sites. There's been some ADA compliance uh, issues that have come up. I've had to I have a local architect that has helped me with site design plan to push through these next phases of what I'm trying to commercially permit all the way. But they but just having my architecture plans, having the design. Design and being able to, I've worked with the county commissioner and other things. I always make sure to tell them like, "Hey, I'm going to be using local contractors, local cleaners. We're going to be, we're going to pay our our, our hot taxes, the hotel occupancy taxes. Uh, we're going to be, you know, providing people are going to be coming into restaurants, all these other things like that. Like, we're trying to make this a mutually beneficial relationship and bring more people to this beautiful area that you have, and and really try to, I don't want to say sell them, but you need to tell them what what good things you're bringing to the county as well, so they can see like. Hey, okay, this is actually a, you know a good idea for us too to to get into this business, and it's been an experience for them because I'm the first. There's there's other unique sites, but I'm the first geodome anywhere near Houston, and I'm the first glamp site 
really near any of any of these lakes or anything. There's other more more rural RV parks and campgrounds, but trying to do what I'm doing, they were able to uh, they they've learned a lot in the process with me. But they but just doing this due diligence before really helped me make sure that I was in the right area. Again, Garrett, so many great nuggets here. And and I, I love your process of just picking up the phone and calling the county to understand their uh, their policies, because I think that's something a lot of people miss. But something you just mentioned that, that made me think of something when you said that you're you're the first dome to really be in this in this area. So how do you how do you underwrite a unique structure like that when there's no other comparable properties in that market? What what strategy did you use to try and ballpark how much revenue and potential profits you'd be making? So that was definitely one of the more difficult things. And that's one of the reasons um, we're speaking in just, you know, equity and appraisal value and things like that. And then how I was able to determine that it, it was going to be profitable to put it there. That's one reason why I wanted a, a very solid house structure on the property that I knew I could that I bought it. It needed some work, but it wasn't a ton of, uh, it was a lot of cosmetic work. And I knew that I'd be able to bring this house up higher in the market. So I'd be able to maintain some more equity because building the geodome, there's probably not much equity that I'm putting into the dome because all the infrastructure that I'm putting in will, will come back for me. But appraisers are going to look at this and, and have no idea where to put it at as far as that term. When I, if I get ready to sell this loan down the line or anything, but I knew that between, I used air DNA and other, you know, other areas that I could see. AirDNA's data is pretty good, but you know, it's been skewed in the last couple of years. And it's also like you were saying, it's this is a unique build. So it's hard to get data on this type of structure being the only one there. But there is there are a couple smaller unique builds, maybe 45 minutes away, that I would go and I would go on Airbnb and, and Verbo and just look at what their occupancy was for the next month and see what they were charging and see how many reviews they had the past month. And it kind of, you know, I, I can't remember what the exact percentage is, but I don't know if it's like 20 or 30 percent of people leave reviews on on places or maybe just a little less. But I would go in and see, like, hey, they only had one review over the past three months. Uh, this might not, this actually, this area might not be good because you can tell they're not getting a ton of bookings here because you'd, you'd see more reviews on these different places. But once I was able to find some areas that I'm like, okay, this, this pocket that I'm actually in, it's a little closer to the Houston side. They still get a ton of, uh, I'm seeing all these different unique stays. There's like a tree house, maybe 30 minutes away. I would kind of see what their occupancy rates were. There's a yurt that's maybe 45 minutes away. I would kind of see what their occupancy rates were. And then I would just look in the general area that I was in to see, hey, you know, and during the COVID boom, everybody was booked out even further. But once the next year passed, I, I would take it more with a grain of salt, like, okay, they, they don't have any bookings coming up in a couple months, but what does their month look like right now? And, you know, it, everything is, it's all, it's all taken with a grain of salt because none of these are definitive answers and, and, you know, tell you, like, oh, this is a great market or, oh, hey, they didn't have many reviews. That's a terrible market. I also knew that buying within two pretty decent regional attractions between Lake Livingston and the Sam Houston National Forest that if I can provide some type of really unique thing that hasn't been there, people visit these places all the time. I, I just have to capture that market and figure out how I can get them in, even if there is no real great examples of what I'm trying to do. I, I kind of just used all that and and put my brain together, crunching numbers. And it's been very close to what actually is, has came about with my, my occupancy rates and things. I think Tony and I are going to have an evening of Googling <laughs> geodomes. <laughs> I'm one step ahead of you. I got Lake Livingston yeah. up right now. 
now I see like <laughs> like con, like con Conroe on the other side. Lake Conroe yeah. is, yeah. is another one that that uh, I looked into. There's different reasons why I chose against that. It's a little more expensive and a few other reasons. But yeah, there's there's a lot near Houston that just being from here that I knew of growing up that uh, people like to travel to. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for sharing all of your information. My business partner, Daryl, has wanted to do a dome for so long. And uh, so he's going to love this episode and maybe it will give him the motivation and inspiration to actually take action on that idea. Um, Okay, so I'm going to take you to our rookie exam. Uh, What is one actionable thing rookies should do after listening to this episode? Uh, I'd say... I'd say join different Facebook groups in your local area and go to some of these meetups and go try to find some and just talk to more people, talk to more wholesalers, talk to whoever you can and, and see what's really out there. My how, how I even got further in this is when I finally started interacting with more people and learning what what areas I can go to and find out about these open houses that are out there. I got on mailing lists and, and don't be afraid to just put yourself out there and try to connect with people and put your information out there for people to send you stuff and go to some of it. Don't don't just look at it and go, oh, OK, that's cool. Like actively try to make it a part of networking and learning different things and, and really put yourself in the fire. All right. Question number two, what's one tool, software, app or system that you use in your business? Um, so I use Logify right now for my property management and it's really, really cool. Um, has a lot of really cool features and I do definitely, uh, I, I think very highly about that. And then I, I use, honestly, I use the bigger pockets calculator a ton when I was really learning how to rehab stuff. Like I don't want to like sounding cliche, like, but bigger pockets really did. Like once I didn't know anything about investing and once I found the site, it was like, this is this is wild. And I just, the calculator, it really does help you really analyze some things going forward. And there, there you may mess up on some numbers, but it gives you better. It, it is a better calculator than 99% of the things I've ran into. And it, and even if you don't have the pro membership and things like that, I was, I'd have a couple of months that I was just trying. And once I got the pro membership, I was doing 10, 12, 13 calculations every single day, just running up as many offers. I mean, running up as many numbers as I could to really understand the market. And it taught me a lot. And it's very user-friendly. Like every single spot where there is to put in a number, it tells you what this number is, where to find it, what does it mean, why it's important for your analysis too. So yeah, I definitely love the bigger pockets calculator reports. Okay, the last question, Garrett, is where do you plan on being in five years? So five years, I'm hoping to take uh, my glamping operation and everything I've learned from building geodomes and my next unique build and take it to a few other places around Texas or around the country. And then also I'm planning to build a wedding venue not too far uh, in the far future and really hoping to maximize that and probably add some different unique stays near the wedding venue. And I'm hoping to just really build the the luxury glam- luxury camping industry uh, near Texas in particular, maybe a few other areas uh, from there and really uh, extrapolate it to what I'm hoping it will be. Yeah, well, you're well on your way, Garrett, man. You're, you're yeah. crushing it with this one so far. Appreciate it. All right, before we wrap up, want to give a shout out to this week's Rookie Rockstar. Today's Rookie Rockstar is Eric Tuberville. And Eric says, I'm super excited. This is my second investment property. I just went under contract on it and it's 13 acres plus a cabin. It's going to be a short-term rental, then going to put some glamping sites on it, a couple of tiny homes, and possibly some more spots for campers and RVs. So Eric, congratulations 
And obviously you've got Garrett now as a, as a role model in terms of how to make that thing kill it when you, uh, when you take it live. So congrats again, Eric, super happy for you. Okay. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here with us today. Can you tell everyone where they can reach out to you and find out some more information? Sure. I appreciate y'all having me. It's definitely a, a honor and a bucket list thing to, to be uh, talking to y'all, but you can, my real estate channel that I do all types of glamping knowledge and things is nice flipping choice. You can find me on all different platforms like that. And then my glamping operation is Cameron Ranch Glamping. It's named after my brother that passed away about 14 years ago. So feel free to shoot me a message. And I love interacting with people. I don't have many people that like talking glamping and things. So I'm always always open to, to, to chop shop with, with anybody because most of my friends are not interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean none of your friends want to go glamping? <laughs> uh, they they want to go glamping, but they don't want to talk about the, the yeah. putting in a sewer and things like that. Right. So. <laughs> they just want to show up and it's ready. Yeah. 100%. So, but I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode. I'm Ashley at Wealthform Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. Make sure you are a part of the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group and join the other like-minded investors to talk about glamping or whatever strategy you are interested in. We will see you guys on Saturday with a rookie reply. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.